0: Mark, I want to start with you, because you're a new guest on this uh, particular platform, and I I looked at your CV earlier on today, and I thought to myself, deep down, you're still a markets person, aren't you? And you you, you probably trade yourself a little bit or advise people on trading, but deep down, markets are your passion, are they not?
1: Yes, I think markets, uh, you know, are the center of the universe for everybody. Whether or not uh, fundamental markets are still the center of your focus, I
0: think
1: many machines involved so i'm moving a little bit away from believing what algorithms produce into thinking about fundamentals again
2: so so mark Uh, i want to jump in here um boysen the the ceo of the cape town stock exchange just getting a thought on on listings you know i mean long 30 years in in financial markets what are you advising people on listings these days especially with the likes of a new stock exchange um, well, it's the renaming of 4AX, but uh, they're looking to make a, a big move into the small and medium enterprise space.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the risk of being out of order, I, I think the entire capital equation is going to change fundamentally, both in terms of uh, listings and in terms of how we allocate capital in South Africa generally. And I'd like to speak about that for a couple of seconds. But going back to stock exchanges, um, uh, you know, I think uh, they're going to have to stand up and find a place in order not to be disintermediated. Okay. I mean, whether or not you, you need to subject yourself to the regulatory oversight and other, uh, you know, things that we've become used to, and whether or not PE multiples matter or discounts to NAV or yesterday's share price or all of those things, or whether or not, you know, capital raising needs to take such a long time. All of those things have changed, in my view, uh, when we talk about a real world where, you know, uh, investments can be done online, where the collective and collective uh, saving schemes and things like that. Will. So they have to make themselves, uh, I think, a little more modern, a little more online, a little more in your face uh, in order to have a life. I'd say the same about banks. I mean, the allocation between individuals and institutions and back again in relation to capital has changed fundamentally over the last decade.
0: Shantan, I want to bring you in here on the markets because people often say that the bond market traders are the ones that really know what's going on. They're the smartest of the smartest. And uh, when I look at my screen at the moment, I've got the U.S. 10 year bond at one point five, nine percent. I've got the oil price above eighty three dollars a barrel for Brent crude oil. And it seems to me that something is going on. Have you got a sense of that? There is something brewing here, in my opinion. Please shoot me down if you want to
3: no absolutely I think that there's a lot of risk out there at the moment and I think that the, the the us tenure is kind of reflecting that right now and it could probably push higher if some of these risk events don't dissipate soon um, but I think that there's a lot of that this these risks bring a lot of uncertainty to the markets and that can persist for for quite some time um I think we've got the the possible temp the the tapering uh, on the cards right now. A lot of guys worrying about inflation still. Um, as I open my inbox in the morning, I get the the, the broker reports uh, from around the world, and most of them over the last few days saying, what if it's not transitory? Um, then you also have China as a continued risk event, so I, I think that's what's currently reflected there, um, and usually it's a it's it's a preamble to what could be a, a bit of a turn in sentiment, um, and and I think that that is probably what is what is brewing right now, whether or not that is the downturn that that everyone's been waiting for, or the the crash in stock markets, the new crash in stock markets, uh, I'm not so sure. Um, We're still in a recovery phase, but the recovery, I think, is a little bit fragile right now. So,
2: Mia, I've got a word for you. And I know Joanne was the first one on our platform, certainly, to talk about Evergrande and say she was surprised that it wasn't bigger news. It was obviously a couple of weeks back. Fantasia, I'm bringing that into play now, and are we seeing everything unfold as we were when we were rather alarmist last week?
4: So, Mia, we're battling to to hear you there.
5: You're on Um, mute.
4: Sorry, I had a a rookie error there. Uh, So, (laughs) definitely, you know, uh, we've seen that contagion start and I mean, if you just consider the fact and how large the the the, uh, the building sector really is, the construction sector in 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 China, it's just bound to to spill over, and it could never be contained by one one company. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, Joanne alluded to that very well in in her conversation, which really opened up the South African market's attention to the Evergrande uh, situation. I think, and uh, and the fact remains that you know. We've known for very long, for many years, that there has been a lot of debt in the Chinese uh, construction sector. There's been a lot of building of cities that's not inhabited, etc. And that's definitely sort of bound to, to come to conclusion at some stage. But whether that's going to be contagious for the rest of the market globally and how the, the government in, in China is dealing with this, how all the debt, the debt, uh, debtors of these companies are going to deal with the, the uh, talks around negotiations around uh, not paying their, their bonds on time, etc., is rem- remains to be seen. So I'm not at this stage um, putting it front of mind as my major concern, I think, as you know, that um, I'm sort of more focused long term and problems will come into the market. There will be defaults of companies, there will be contagion, markets go up and down, but in the long term, Need to focus on on what's changing and and where you want to be for the future for the long run. And I think you know if we could come back later on to what Mark alluded to in terms of how capital allocation has been changing over the last decade and what the future might look like. I think that's a very interesting topic to to discuss and something that's definitely friends of mine for me, way mm-hmm. more than ever brand
0: you can answer that question to mark later on uh, but let's just continue with the markets with joanne joanne we had a chat uh, a couple of days ago and you said that you'd started to take some sort of protection for your clients maybe a little bit early but it's never it, it's, it's not wrong to be early because in the long term you might be right there are so many things going on at the moment and whether it's be whether it's because media hypes these things up i don't know but i i do think that the evergrande story and uh, the inflation story uh, oil that, as I said, at eighty three dollars a barrel again this morning, despite um, Russia turning on the spigots yesterday and the day before. There's lots to worry about. I would have thought, as a wealth manager.
5: Well, I think front and foremost, it's valuations. You know, if right now valuations were cheap, we'd all be quite relaxed about everything because we're all long term investors, right? As I cynically say, we're all long term investors when the short term goes wrong, and that that is the brutal truth about our industry. But the reality is. There's a lot of bad news out there at the moment. We have to worry about inflation. That's clearly not as transitory as central banks had hoped. The Evergrande story, yes, I think it's a big issue, but it's a bigger issue for Chinese growth going forward. I don't think it's a banking crisis. I listened to a JP Morgan conference yesterday that talked about $1.2 trillion. Apparently, that's not a huge number on the banking sector in China. So I don't think it's a contagion issue all fall down, but it's definitely an issue for Chinese growth. But the more interesting story I think we're all watching at the moment is this movement from growth to value. And, you know, for the last 10 days now, we've had lower lows on a lot of tech stocks in the US. I think that's the real story. We're seeing a transition from what has done well for the last 10 years to what is probably going to do well for the next 10 years. And I think we're starting to see huge movement in value shares. I think for clients, there's two ways to play this market: Hold quite a lot of cash if you're nervous from a market correction. But if you don't think you can time it, then buy some value shares. It will do much better for you as economic growth starts to pick up. It's the only reason the central banks are saying they're starting to taper and will potentially raise interest rates next year.
2: Right, Mark. Let's go to this capital allocation discussion. That's okay. near Thanks. excited.
5: Thanks.
1: I mean, I, I've written about ever not so grand uh, just for the just for the starters, and uh, and one of the things that I noticed is as an asset class in China. It is three times bigger than the total of fixed income and it's five times bigger than equities, uh, investments into, profit, into property, which is a government-driven strategy. So let me talk about you know, capital allocation in South Africa. We're in the mud. okay, And when you're in the mud, you need to invest. You need to get forward thrusts to give you escape velocity. And we're doing anything but investing. And it's because the allocators of capital have no confidence in the deployers of capital in our country. okay, And so I was in a discussion the other day about uh, raising muni bonds in South Africa, uh, money for municipalities. I said, you'll never do it. You'll raise money for projects, but not for municipalities who manage projects because their track record doesn't suggest they should be the custodians of your capital. But that doesn't mean that building a dam is not a clever or right or profitable or valuable thing for the country. So I'm seeing a move away uh, towards circumventing what I might call established markets and current resident oversight uh, okay in terms of our uh, government deployed uh, oversight and, and the like and so I'm saying we must attract investment capital from a foreign perspective that means we've got to allow foreigners to invest in and own and manage for the time being the assets in which they invest directly and to to go around if you like the oversight or the intermediaries that we've we've put in their place. And I'm nearly finished. From a local perspective, I think we should give corporations the incentive to invest directly in infrastructure. What about if instead of paying tax or instead of paying all of your tax, you could invest your tax money directly into approved infrastructure projects, which you could manage with a view to handing them over to the state in due course. What happens? If a big corporation could say, instead of paying you tax, I'm going to build a dam. I think we've lost everyone, Okay, and so I think we need to go directly to the assets. Eskom hasn't, uh, didn't raise any, uh, didn't use any tax money to build itself. And then the last point I'd want to make is that we need to move out of established capital markets where everything is overpriced and crowded, into the real economy. We need to take our capital out of Santon. Those buildings can only go so much higher. And into Alexander, where a couple of buildings could be built. Okay, I think we've got a we 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 we're in a larger capital mentality, which uh, which which serves a fewer and fewer people and creates more and more froth and less and less value. And cheap money doesn't make shares more valuable; it just makes them cheaper. Thank you.
0: Very good, Mia. You you wanted to bring that up uh, from Mark's earlier yes. comments. In the, in the what are your comments given what he's just said?
4: Well, I think it's very topical and it's very uh, front of mind for me because impact investing is what that's all about and making a difference where you are and what with what you have. So in South Africa, we have been when you look at the majority of capital allocated into investments, it's driven a lot by the regulated um, regulated environment of a CISA, etc. What they permit, etc. But this is starting to change and it is helping people to uh, to invest. Uh, in a regulated area, which is obviously a concern for retail investors that don't have pots and pots of unlimited money to invest in, so um, so that does help. And but as you know, that has been very uh, topical for us as well. I think if we consider the fact that uh, how government has changed their approach to to power generation, how the the allowance of, of your power ger- generation has been lifted uh, to a much higher extent. It's really enabling companies to, to, to invest money there. So just to talk on the listed space, which is still regulated, if you look at what MediClinic is doing in terms of the renewable energy drive, uh, Remgrow, which is obviously still the majority uh, shareholder there, Driving that rim grow, putting a lot of money into new projects into fiber uh, fiber infrastructure in South Africa, which is a big thing. I mean, there's a lot of people. We've done a big research study on that, uh, where we look at how people in South Africa doesn't matter from your well, We actually did look at the different LMA, LSM classes and how they spend money and how large part of their their salaries or, or income really monthly is is. Is spent towards uh, towards uh, connectivity and data and an infrastructure network of fiber is really helping everyone to get connected faster and better no one really in this country can go without data anymore so there's many things and many opportunities for investors to already get, uh, get uh, um, some exposure to this, this infrastructure drive in South Africa and I agree with Mark the fact is that you won't be allocating your capital to any institution that has a bad track record of misusing your money. But you want some way, and that's the that's where we as an as a industry need to come in and really start doing new work and groundbreaking work of how to make it accessible for retail investors to invest into these type of projects in South Africa. And I think that's the future, along with banking obviously becoming completely... Uh, uh, online and, and techno- te- technologically driven as, as some of the conversations we've had recently really shows. But this is an area that we need to spend money on to uplift this country and to make it a, a place for all of us to, to live.
0: Bronwyn, before you go in here, this has got my mind uh, racing a little bit. And I I, I don't know if, if Mark or Joanne or Chantal wants to uh, pick on. Pick up on what I say. If there's going to be, for example, a a wealth tax, a super wealth tax on either companies or individuals, don't you think you could be creative with tax and say, "Okay, it's not just going to get lost at SARS." I mean, okay, paying tax, of course, the money will be distributed. We hope in a responsible way. But why don't you say to a company or an individual, "We're going to tax you more, but the the money is going to go to this specific project, so it's not just getting lost." in the whole maelstrom of um, a, a tax receipts. Who wants to answer that one? Um,
3: I'll, I'll take that one on. Uh, I think the word tax is really what scares people. Um, you, Most people want to invest in something where they have predictable streams of income and they are more than willing to allocate wealth or capital to projects that make sense on projects that will pay you uh, an income over the life of that project or or even beyond. So a tax is very difficult to sell to people because it's effectively giving your money away and while you will have second and third order effects or positive impacts from that tax, it, it doesn't directly come back into your pocket. So my thinking is it would make more sense from a uh, PR perspective, rather, for government to think about uh, separately um, issuing infrastructure bonds, perhaps green infrastructure bonds, um, or focusing on uh, the private uh, equity space, perhaps looking at specific projects, uh, bundling them together, um, and either... um, uh, selling those projects into the private market or that those bundles of projects into the private market, or perhaps even considering something like a listing, make it, make it public um, and let people see, let people see what the track record looks like, what the, uh, the, the, the capital expenditure framework looks like, what the, the IRR and NAV and all those, that, that good stuff um, looks like, be transparent about it. But I think tax is really the the three letter word that so- scares people. The second most.
2: Exactly. Joanne, uh, go in there, and, and I want to pick up on that that term in terms of track record, but Joanne, come in and then Mark, I want to talk about government's track record here and get your load on. Joanne.
5: Well, I think the perfect world in the Nordic countries, for instance, they pay very high tax rates because they trust the government. Let's be brutally honest here, when we pay higher taxes in this country, the wealth tax or whatever tax you're talking about, do we truly trust it will go to the right places? So I think this is the biggest problem. There's a, there's a trust deficit in South Africa. So back to Mark's comment, you know, incentivize people rather. So have a carrot, say, if I put my money into this, I'll get a tax deduction. It'll change the focus of people very quickly. So then I'm doing good, I'm helping my neighbors, the second, third order effects come through, but I get tax in my pocket to do so, so I get a tax cut. But to tell it to punitively erase taxes on the hope I mean, I love Mark's, you know, let's tax people. No, he's not saying tax people. He's saying let's put money into infrastructure assets. The problem is, we don't trust this government. will spend our taxes. There are just too many times we see the money leaving through the wrong doors. So I think this is the problem. There's a massive trust deficit in South Africa before we start talking about wealth taxes. So, so,
1: yeah, so Mark,
2: I, yeah, so I can I say William really to you before, you before you answer here? I think all I need to say is William Keezer.
1: Sorry. Oh, it's burning sorry. The,
2: the let former
1: let me minister of Let me just finish on this taxing because I really think it could work. You know, even beyond incentives and aggregation, if you came to me as an individual taxpayer and said, you can either pay tax or you can build a school in your area, exactly. and let's, let's, let's not define your area. You know, you can build a school in an approved area that needs a school. I'd happily pay the money directly into the school. Or directly into the sanitation project in some township that's close by. Or wherever it's going to immediately and directly and visibly and measurably and incrementally create observable value. That's what we need. We need a present value, obvious incremental step towards The prospect of economic dignity, no more spreadsheets, no more, uh, what do you call those things, the pictures on, none of that stuff, okay? No more PowerPoint presentations, no more promises. And so, where's the cash? The cash is in our pockets, those of us all who earn money and corporations in particular. And you could cut a deal across corporate South Africa, geographically and by industry, to rebuild this country directly with your oversight and capital that otherwise you put into the pot that Lindsay was referring to earlier, which hasn't covered itself in glory. Okay, So I'm not saying this is permanent. I'm saying that part of that equation is to train and educate and partner and create a long term, sustainable management capacity to do this forever. But the but at the kernel of it, at its at its course, is is a competent allocation directly into capital projects without any uh you know diffusion. So you oh, so do we
2: bypass government uh, then? Is it necessary sorry? to actually bypass government here in South Africa in order yeah, to I achieve that's that. too
1: blunt a description. I think that's too blunt a description and, I, yeah. and, and and I don't think we can bypass government. I think government's role interim has to be defined. They have to license they have to enable they have to Uh, They have to oversee, uh, you know, allocations geographically or demography or whatever it is, but they should uh, should partner with us in that capacity and not uh, set us aside in the name of doing a project where there's a skill set and a demonstrable track record that has the capacity to do it. Because the alternative to finish this point is this, is that the private sector will do it anyway for themselves. The trouble is that that will be not affordable for the vast vast majority of our population. We will build our own schools, we will create our own security, we will build our own hospitals, we will do all of those kinds of things with what little capital we don't export that's left after we've exported. But that will not be at a unit cost of consumption which is sustainable for the general population. So we have to cross that developmental commercial divide in a partnership where the most efficient deployment of capital is accompanied by the most capable oversight in partnership with an enabling government who does have a significant role to play.
0: Mm. I love two of those phrases that you just uh, threw out there, Mark, one was competent allocation and the other one was economic dignity. And a lot of people in South Africa don't have any dignity when it comes to uh money uh their 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 own personal dignity which is obviously linked to economics we've got to get on now to um hot stocks bromine i think um although this is a fascinating chat and maybe we should get a forum together when it comes to creative taxation i think it would be a great program uh joanne you're not particularly a stock picker uh, but you're going to have to because this is hot stocks time well
2: can i the segue there, Joanne, is, is what you were saying about protecting your clients, you know, looking at an, an avenue where you safeguard them against what might or might not happen, but it looks as though we are heading into a really, really tough environment. Maybe I can just get you segue with that in mind.
5: Okay, so in South Africa, that you've got a lot of choices, right? You can buy... And this might be controversial, but the long end of the bond curve in South Africa gives you a decent yield if you don't think the South Africa is collapsing. So from a protection perspective, you can buy cash and bonds in South Africa because there is yield. And the reason I mention this is because there's no yield offshore. Okay, so if you're looking at your offshore assets, there's very few places to hide. And I know South African bonds are controversial, but just saying they're very few places to hide. Offshore, we've got to start looking at hedge funds. I think you have to give more tools to fund managers that can go long and short markets and not be one directional trades. So an offshore environment, you can't buy fixed income, yields are useless, inflation's rising. So even cash, if inflation starts picking up, is a terrible asset class for you to be in. So there are very few places you can protect your assets offshore. We, we think sort of hedge funds look interesting, hold a little bit of cash for you know if the markets fall, if you're clever enough to buy it quickly. And in South Africa, I think you've got lots of choices. I mean, some of these commodity shares are starting to look really interesting in this country. I mean, I saw yesterday some of the platinum shares were up six, seven, eight percent I mean, we know this is what happens in South Africa. But if you think the economic growth in the world is picking up and largely because of ESG actually, if we start seeing lots of ESG friendly stories coming through and people need rhodium, lithium, et cetera, some of these miners and platinum, it's gonna, yeah, I think that's a very interesting long-term story. So that's my stock pick actually. I think some of the miners in South Africa are looking very interesting.
0: I can I can see Mia Kruger uh, <laughs> grinning and, and waiting to jump in here to embellish what uh, Joanne has just said. Uh, I'll Mia, give her a name. <laughs> continue before Chantal, please.
4: Okay. Well, I think Joanne actually uh, touched there on a couple of very interesting points that's, that we also focus on. I think, you know, uh, hedge funds, which is the one thing that you, uh, in, in a regulated environment, you can invest in. Uh, these days out of South Africa. But that's definitely a place where people can allocate uh, allocate money better. But for me, even better than that is enlisted private equity. And if you consider private equity companies globally and what they've done and what they've delivered over the last, well, over history, it's really impressive. And you can tap there into listed companies that's available um, to you on any exchange and and invest with them in those large projects that they're doing. So that's something for me on the global side that I really like. And then the renewable energy side also, when you consider what the stock prices have done of companies like Orsted, uh, companies like Vesta, this last couple of months, they've really moved sideways to becoming more um, cheaper. So they're looking attractive. I'd get into those if I were looking in that space. And then on the local side, I agree with Joanne. Platinum producers and some of the, the, uh, the smaller diversified miners that focus on, on renewable energy and, and green, uh, green commodities, especially one that I've spoken to Lance about in Sabanya, is looking so cheap that it's just actually, I just can't, can't understand how the market is pricing it so wrong. If you look at the cash flow of that company, etc. obviously, prices are never driven by rationality. But by market movement and anticipation of various characters in the market. So, yes, yeah, Sabanya is still one of the picks for me. Mm-hmm. So, is you know, Mia, dangerous I'm going
1: go to directly... start drinking when everyone else is drunk.
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go directly after this show and buy Sibanya still water. You've been beating this drum and I've been late to the party. I'm going to go in and do this afterwards. Chantal Marks, where are you going to be putting some money?
3: Bronwyn, if it makes you feel better, I don't think you're late um, to the party yet. I think that you still have have some time. Um, These platinum stocks have been beaten down uh, mercilessly. And and one day does not a rally make. And one day does not make uh, the PGM space expensive at all. Um, But going to other areas of the market that I think have been beaten down um, and that don't look expensive right now, although I might be a little bit early on this call, i'm starting to to really look closely at the the chinese equity market so i know that there are still a lot of risks out there but if you if you cast your mind back to march 2020 where no one was buying anything and everyone should have been buying something um it's i'm kind of getting that same feeling around the chinese equity market at the moment so you might be getting in very early right now but it's probably worth starting to look at the um, at the Chinese equity market, maybe some single names there, but from a South African perspective, I think that the the, the Satrix China um, or MSCI China ETF is is an interesting prospect right now. And then also kind of um, trying to capitalize on concerns around Chinese growth um, that will still be positive. So absolute demand will still be increasing. I think it's also a good time to start looking at luxury goods. So um, so Richmond actually technically looks quite decent right now. And I think offshore you can also consider looking at LVMH.
0: Mark, um, Robin and I both have a question for you. Uh, I know you're not a, you're particularly in the role of being a stock picker today, so I'm going to ask you something completely different. You've been in both the public and the private sector. Uh, whether you've bridged the gap, I, I, I don't know. But is there a potential for South Africa to bridge that gap and public and private partnerships becoming a reality to, uh, to, to further the growth of this economy, the South African economy? At some point, there'll be no choice.
1: At some point, it will become obvious that to own less than 50% of a profit-making, successful, growing organization is far more valuable than earning 100% of a failure. And that will become self-evident and necessary. And um, if you ask me if I want to have another go where I've been before, damn right I do. Okay. Because there's a deep understanding There, there, there is when we get to truth, when we get beyond the show, when we talk truth to unions, when we talk truth to, to employees, when we, when we deliver a, a measurable and incremental change inside organizations culturally, then all of the things that have stood in the way of private public debate, the inferiority and superiority complexes that clutter up the sense of the debate, all of those things step aside in the face of necessity and we very close absolute necessity. So I think it is going to happen. I think it's bad enough. I think that uh, at some point in time, uh, we have to hold hands in our mutual common interest. And I think that's what's going to save. Uh, it's coming. It, it, it has to come logically. The alternative is too ghastly to contemplate and to polit- even politically unpalatable.
2: So, so Mark, Lindsay's going to close the show in a moment. But my question to you is really around the, the table. When people talk about staying or going, when they say to you, I'm looking to leave South Africa, what do you what do you, emphatically say back?
1: My daughter just left. I said, go and have a look, uh, but please come home. I don't want South African brain power and capital to see South Africa as their holiday, holiday destination. We actually need to stay here to make it worth staying here. Okay, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm old. I don't have choices. You know, fill in the visa form and go, excuse me, 65, have a nice day. You know, but but no matter how much capital you've got. So I'm encouraging people to invest here, to invest. You know, I, I used to do a lot of scrambling. When you start coming off a bike, the only thing to get you out of it is to accelerate, to create forward thrust and not to hesitate, not to pause. And yeah, we need to hold hands. And I think we're going to. And uh, if you think that you can go and live somewhere else and have a better life and come here on holiday, go away. It's wrong.
0: Well, that's put me in my place, Mark.
1: Yeah. And and if you want my stock picks, I'm going minus technology, plus yields, plus private equity. I mean, our long-term bonds yielding nine and a bit percent, and inflation's at three. Have a nice day.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, I think this um, sets up uh, an, another co- another forum like this, uh, Bronwyn. Are you going to close the show, or are you, go- are you doing it? Are you-, are you making me do it again.
2: Uh, I'll do it. Thank you very there much, you to Mark Barnes, joining us here uh, for some honest conversation. Mia Kruger, Kruger International. Chantal Marks, FNB Wealth and Investments, and Joanne Bannum from Sterling Wealth. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll be back same time next week, nine o'clock across YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn.